0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly name. Dilly dong Come <laughs> on. It's a sharing up. i I will love it
1: if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kurnee.
0: Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. This is number 12 of the culture podcasts that we have been doing alongside World Strides Excel. World Strides Excel is the industry leader in international soccer tours with over 15 years experience delivering soccer tours for a wide range of clientele, including teams and coaches. Here's how it works. You pick a country or countries, And their soccer experts will customise a trip that includes competitive games, training sessions with international coaches, tickets to professional matches, sightseeing and much more. They work above and beyond to offer a high level of quality support and service, including financial assistance, liability coverage, flights and hassle-free travel. Our guest for this podcast is Fran Alonso. Fran is the current head coach at the University of Liverpool. He's also been an assistant in the Premier League with Southampton under Mauricio Pochettino. He's also worked as an assistant at Everton under sam allardyce and ronald Koeman, so you're going to love this chat with fran an unbelievable insight into working with those coaches that experience in the premier league under those great managers that experience of working with great players those differences in culture between spain and england those differences in growing up why he views the game a different way that he does to a lot of other coaches phenomenal phenomenal insight you're going to love this here uh, fran was very very generous with his time and even more generous with his insights so uh, let me know what you think as always twitter at gary instagram at gary you can also send me an email gary at modernsoccercoach.com love hearing what resonates with coaches love hearing what coaches think about the podcast about the guests what they agree with maybe sometimes what they disagree with let me know let me know you're gonna love this here's fran enjoy Fran, thanks so much for joining me today for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast, really excited to have you on.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here, I'm very, very happy to, uh, to be interviewed by you.
0: Brilliant, brilliant, first person that's ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> we start these podcasts off a lot with, uh, with philosophy, can you tell me a little bit about yours and, and what in particular your journey shaped your philosophy?
1: I am very passion, uh, passionate about the way I want my teams to play and the values that the team members m- must have. Uh, my own philosophy is actually a, of a mix of football styles. Uh, some I watch them in TV and I fall in love with, like, for example, Brazil in the 90s, uh, or Cruyff or Guardiola's Barcelona, the Spanish national team, Sarri's Napoli, so it's a little bit of a mix of all these teams. And then things I learned. When I was a kid, obviously I grew up in Spain with uh, with a different style of football that what we have here in England, and then others that I learned from managers. Uh, I was extremely lucky to work with uh, like Ronald Koeman, and you know obviously he was in this Johan Cruyffs Barcelona, so he's very uh, into positional play and, and positional games, so is brilliant. Then with Pochettino, obviously I uh, amazing my time with him. Uh, especially I will get maybe the pressing patterns from him, which are very, very impressive. Uh, and then even the last one I, I was with, with Sam Alada is uh, very impressive in in terms of defending shape and 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 little details in terms of defending. So all of it combined have a massive impact in, in my own philosophy and playing style. As a kid, I remember I read a quote from Socrates that say, beauty comes first, victory is secondary. What matters if is joy. And no, I don't know for what particular reason, but it always stuck in my mind. And then, of course, for me, winning is, is as important or or more than playing beautifully. But I have been always in the chase of both. So I like my teams to, you know, if, if my team win, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. If they play well, I'm happy. But if they do both, then I am delighted. <laughs> so in terms of philosophies, like you know, I like my teams to be very comfortable in possession, very intense without the ball. I, I believe these two things are actually. Uh, uh, connected, the better organized you are in possession the easier it will be to win the ball back if you lose it. Uh, I am obsessed with ball pace uh, and of course what you need to do that uh, you know the smallest details in terms of angles of support, distances the rotation uh, and all the tactical concepts from the positional play uh, that the whole team uh, must know in order to play that way so yeah in my opinion to be effective uh, coach you have to have a playing style that you love and you believe in, and then your next job, and probably the most challenging one, would be to teach it and then inspire your players so they feel as proud and, and they love it as much as you do.
0: Just going back there, you were saying uh, working with Kuhn and, and the influence of Cruyff and then working with, with Pochettino and the influence of Bielsa, two, two of the the greatest football minds, Bielsa and Cruyff, was there much similarities between those two philosophies?
1: Uh they, they both love good football. Um, and that's something that uh, I, I was like a sponge with them because they, they love good football. They put a lot of uh, emphasis into details. Uh, yeah, Pochettino, obviously, he's got his own philosophy, but he, he's very influenced by Bielsa, who is, as you say, is one of the, the, the most brilliant minds in, in football. Uh, and then, you know, Kuman was working for so many years with, with Johan Cruyff who for me is probably, you know, if I have to name uh, the most inspirational coach uh, all times, he would be probably one of them. So, yeah, I feel, I feel, uh, you cannot imagine how lucky I feel to have been working uh, every day with, with, especially with these two guys, with other managers as well. Of course, you learn from absolutely everyone, but with these two guys, uh, yeah, I very lucky. but. What you say? Yes, there are there are there are differences. There are differences in the way they see football and the way they coach football. Um, but the similarities are even bigger, which is the, their love for good football and and, and of course uh, for good results.
0: That influence of Spanish football has it's been huge on the Premier League and and obviously with the success of Barcelona and Spain, the world football in general. What do you think Spanish players and coaches love? about working the English game.
1: Um, yeah, what you say is totally right. Yeah, like a, a Spanish football, with the help of, of course, some non-Spanish uh, coaches, like, like the one we were talking about, Johan Cruyff, but we have a big impact in, in the world of football. Uh, Spanish national team, the Barcelona, impressed the world with, with these amazing results and, the, and this very attractive playing style. Then Real Madrid, of course, has been dominating the Champions League in the last years. Um, I came here 10 years ago because my dream was to work in, in the Premier League. Um, what we love uh, about this league is the, is the high tempo, how exciting are most of the games. As a spectator, the English Premier League is the most spectacular league in the world. Um, if we talk about coaching point of view, from a, po- from a coach point of view, I love the Italian, the Spanish, the German league. Um, of course, you have also another factor which we can, cannot ignore is the economical strength of the Premier League. So now some of the best players and the best coaches in the world are coming here, which make the league even even more exciting.
0: In in that space of ten years, then where has the biggest growth in the English game come from? Do you feel is it science or the technicality of the players' tactical ability? What's the biggest jump have you have you noticed?
1: Uh, I've been I've been working for the last six years, uh, and even in six years I saw I saw uh, a grow. But I think. By having this uh, economical strength, you are able to bring uh, you know, the, the best professionals in, in, in every single department. So I think uh, the league has grown tactically, probably. I would say it has been the best, The uh, not only in the men, but in the women. But in the men, I think tactically, they, uh, the Premier League tactically is a better league now than it was 10 years ago. For me, it's a massive difference. Of course, the influence of foreign foreign top world-class coaches but also, you know, some English coaches are now that are world-class as well. So, yeah, I think tactically probably.
0: What are the biggest areas that a Spanish coach has to adapt in England? Is it on the field in terms of the physicality or the, the state of play? Or is it more off the field with, you said, that those financial, they're, they're, now, they're now companies, the media attention they bring, the, the problems or challenges that they face in that? Is it, is it more on or off the field?
1: Yeah, I, well, it's not only coaches but players uh, on the field. Obviously, they need to adapt to a much higher tempo uh, and, and a much higher physicality. Here in England, you don't have as much time on the ball. The opponents close you down uh, much quicker. Um, for a Spanish footballer, for example, they they will succeed in here if they are technically very good or if their decision making is very good. Um, for Spanish coaches, it would be would be the same. They need to adjust to a uh, uh, a less, if you want to say, a, a slightly less tactical uh, approach in sessions and, and a little bit more physical, which is what English players are used to and, 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 and they love, they love. And it's something that makes this league so attractive, the physicality of the players. But then off the field, you face issues like the weather, totally different than Spain, um, and you know lack of sun, uh, which can affect even your mood. When you go into a professional player, these, these little details like the mood it matter matter a lot. Then the food, uh, totally different. Lifestyle, um, the, the timings of the meals uh, is is very different than in Spain. So all these have a have an impact. Uh, some of them, I've been with, for example, some players that, that have adapted very well to the English league, like Oriol Romeo at Southampton. And then some that after a year they they came back to Spain, like Juanmi. Uh, now, Sandro Ramirez on loan, he went last year to Sevilla, now he went to Real Sociedad uh, because they find it difficult to, to adapt to, to, to the weather conditions and, and to the lifestyle in England. So of course, probably the most important of all is, is, is the language barrier.
0: I'd never took that on board before about the, the weather, about how much that impacts people's mood. That's, a, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, I experienced this on on, on myself as well. Um, in spain you are used to see the sun Uh, the days are longer uh, and there are more sunny days so it affects you your mood actually yeah you in england when you get up in my experience when i when i see sun uh, just for that reason i am i'm happy i'm all all over the moon even if it's only because i see the sun so yeah it has it has it has an impact i think
0: and the the spanish coaches that come over and enter foreign coaches in general at it seems that they always bring a really detailed approach on the training field to the game. Uh, Does the schedule, the the intensity in terms of match three days, match three days, does that make it difficult to to restrict the work you can do on the training field? And if so, how does a coach overcome this?
1: Yeah, I I think, of course, we all know, uh, as we said before, like, you know, TV, business is very important. Uh, this is one of the reasons the Premier League is, is the biggest league in the world. Uh, but if we think only about the athletes and about the teams, it's, it's crazy. Uh, let's be honest, it's crazy, especially over the Christmas period. Uh, so, for example, in Christmas period, for me, the main goal of, of a team is to avoid injuries. At Everton last season, we played December the 23rd, December the 26th, December the 30th, and then 1st of January. So we have four games in just over so a week. Uh, so you know during this period, what you can do is you can do light sessions, you can do tactical uh, light work, you can do rondos, some passing drills. Uh, but you know there is no much things with intensity that, that that you that you can do. Normally after a game, if a player plays 90 or close to 90 minutes, you need 40, 48 hours recovery. But in December, January, sometimes you you play another game in 48 hours. So so yeah, I think. The only way you can overcome this is using first using the whole depth of the squad. You need a, a big squad. And then you need to limit the, the intensity of training. In a way, it can it can work because you can put more focus in, in the tactical detail and do the sessions less intense. But this is a double-sided weapon because sometimes when you when you do sessions without intensity, then some players switch off. And if they switch off in training, they it's possible that they switch off in games, which is something that you want to avoid. So it's to find to find a little bit of balance. I think is this time and with busy schedule is more about working smart than working than working hard.
0: Yeah, do you think we're reaching a point where coaches are changing their playing styles or systems to to help that? There, I seen with with Liverpool and Klopp, it looks as if they might be, you know, with the game against Man City, it looks as if they were. Uh, saving some energy and, and do you think now that you, you have to be a little bit more flexible tactically what's your thoughts on that I,
1: I, I, can, I cannot really speak for, for you know what uh, Jurgen Klopp has done at, at Liverpool or, or what his thoughts were uh, in the plan but what I can tell you in my own experience I like to press high mm. and I like to press uh, not from physicality but from organisation but you know pressing is a lot of amount of accelerations decelerations high speed running if you got a busy schedule, that affects the way your players and that and that can mean a muscular injury, that mean that can mean a player having a tear. Uh, so yeah, definitely what you say is totally is totally right. You I don't know if they did, but I probably would. You, you will have to adapt the way you play to maximize the, the opportunity to keep all your players fit and to make sure you keep getting results because at the end of the day um, playing well and pressing high and all, all these are, are weapons that you have are attractive to spectators but at the end of the day we, we, are, you know, we need to get results.
0: Feedback for, for professional players how do they differ from youth players in terms of how they want it and then how do you differ in terms of how you present it to them?
1: I think uh, providing feedback if it's done right it can be one of the most effective ways to develop a player. However, some feedback interventions actually do more harm than, than good. My own feedback methodology would be very similar, to be honest, for senior players uh, or for youth players, uh, despite the difference in age or, or in the different in playing experience at the highest level. Uh, however, however, it could be very different depending on the individual. So for me, the key is to know your players, how they think, how they learn, what they enjoy, what they don't. Uh, of course, I got a general rule. So, for example, if I'm going to give uh, positive feedback, verbal feedback, I would do it loud, I will do it with passion, uh, so all can listen. And then you know, everyone will normally try to replicate this highlighted behavior or action. And that normally helps me to keep the quality and intensity of the exercise or of the session. I found this to be very efficient. Uh, while if I have to give maybe constructive or, or, or not so positive feedback, I will normally be, uh, will give that individually. Um, apart from the verbal feedback, I thought one of the most powerful tools to provide feedback is, is the use of video analysis. Videos from training, uh, I record everything. Uh, at, any cl- at every club I am, I record every single training session, uh, games or, or videos from the opposition. I use it all the time, and it has great positive impact in developing players and also in developing uh, playing style. The problem I got with this is some players it doesn't work with them. Some players can learn from watching a video. They, they, they actually need to do the work on the pitch. They need to, to learn it. They need to do it and do it over and again, and then they learn it. So that's what I mean by knowing your players uh, so you know what type of feedback they need and, and how often they need it. Um, as an example, for, in, in Sohanton Academy, the boys, they, they got an iPad. They they All, all the players are given an, an iPad. And then they upload in the in this iPad, all the footage from their games, they get involved the parents as well, so they also see it. It's, it's, quite, it's quite good. Um, so before games, they analyze their own performances and see what they can improve. They love it. They, they review it before games. At Everton, two years ago, when I, uh, Romelu Lukaku, exactly the same. In the changing room, he will get the analyst before the game, and he, he, will, he get an iPad, and he wants the opposition goalkeeper and the centre-backs how many goals they they, they consist in the in the last weeks how they conceded where the ball came from when they lose the, so all with detail but I saw an academy under ten player and a top striker known worldwide exactly with the same need of feedback and, and using the a similar method so for me rather my personal opinion rather than do this different in age of course you don't talk the same to a young player than you will talk to a a senior player but this would be in any environment not only in football but the need of feedback and the hunger I can see some 20 year old and some under 10s with exactly the same hunger and the, the, exactly the same need from feedback
0: How does a Spanish player you know we we talk around the world especially on the US you know we, we look upon them with so much envy because of their tactical intelligence how does a player develop that in Spain with people you know how does a coach kind of lift their, their game knowledge? Is it through feedback or is it through the training or is it a little bit of everything?
1: I think, uh, and this is a very personal opinion, and it might not be right. It's just obviously I, I, I grew up playing football in Spain and I and I grew up coaching in, in England. So I, need, I know a little bit of both. When I was a kid, I started to play when I was five years old. I started to play futsal, and this futsal was in concrete. Now, playing in concrete means... First, the ball is flat, so the surface is flat, so the ball can be played with pace along the ground. That's the easiest, the easiest way. You don't, you don't slide tackle in concrete, so you learn to stay on your feet, you learn to, you learn to, to, to be patient defending and also to be patient attacking. And you don't want to be tackled uh, if you wait to receive the ball and then think what you do. So what you need to do is you need to know what to do before you get the ball. And I think this It's very difficult to teach when you are already 14, 15-year-old. That's easy to teach when you are five and you grow with it. And that becomes normal. And then the weather, I think, got a massive impact. As a kid, I was playing every single day football, every single day. All my friends and myself, we were playing every day. After school, we got so many concrete pitches in every single county, in every single city in Spain, and we will be there endless hours playing. Over a year, I don't know how much different in hours could be with a Spanish kid or, or if you see Brazil, for example, they are all the time playing in the street. Again, players with brilliant technical ability. For me, this is probably uh, why, because they spend endless amount of hours on the ball. They 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 are not they don't have feedback. They are not properly coached, but they get amazing feeling of the ball and they learn by themselves uh, just by practicing, practicing. If on top of that you put some feedback, some good coaching, so then, then you can make the the, the player progress even further. So for me it's a little bit mix of weather conditions that allow you to play for longer hours in the street, while in England maybe it's raining, cold, windy, and you know, at six o'clock you want to be at home. I remember as a kid playing until 8:30 p.m. since uh, four o'clock when I finished school. So a little bit of weather, a little bit of the surface you play here, because here are the kids. Not all of them. In academy level, the, pitch are, the pitches are very good. But grassroots level, the pitches are bubbly. Uh, you know, the parents, they all go. In England, you are so passionate about football. Everyone is passionate about football, which means, you know, they care a lot about their kids. They care about not losing. So, and the kids don't want to lose the ball. They won't risk trying to play from the back in a bubbly pitch because you are very likely to lose the ball. While if you play in concrete, you know, it's very easy to put pace on that ball. Uh, in a bubbly pitch, weather with paddles is is more difficult. So I think it's a it's a bit of uh, this make a, a big impact when you are a kid, and then uh, obviously as an adult, now you can see uh, English English teams are not now like they were before. They are much better. They are better technically. They are better tactically. You can see the the work uh, has been done in England is is starting to pay uh, to pay dividends, back. It wasn't like that before, and that's why I think the Spanish or maybe the Brazilians, technically and tactically, are a little bit more aware. Um, but that's, as I say, Gary, that's, that's my own personal opinion, and, yeah. and you know, it's, it's only what what I personally experience.
0: Let's talk about match day as an assistant coach in the Premier League. I think it's something that's never ever talked about. Is this this one-hour period before the game starts? Uh, very curious as to what. What goes on in those offices um, in terms of communication with the head coach? Does he talk? Does he kind of do his own thing? Does the staff prepare anything in general, or is it just a, a relaxation moment?
1: Um, it it, it depends on the manager. Uh, the hours uh, prior to uh, uh, to the warm up uh, for me seems endless. So when you get up in a match day, you can't literally wait for kick-up. The only thing you got in, in your mind is kickoff. off you, you are looking forward to, to, to starting the game. Uh, in my case, uh, I was busy with our team seats uh, in the Premier League. Uh, I, well, they change it now, but when I was uh, there, they, you meet the opposition captain and another member of the technical staff, and then you go together with the referee. You meet the referee, and the officials tell you uh, what they need to say regarding the game. Uh, you swap team sheets, which you then go straight away and, 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 and share with your with your technical team, and then you do set plays. Uh, okay, so you mark who, who mark who or whatever. Or oh, look, these players are here, so that means they are not going to play with this formation. They are playing with this other uh, or whatever it might be. So that's the last-minute changes. Um, and that was part of my job uh, on match days. Other people uh, is different. So the, the massage and the physios are treating players uh, before the warm-up. Uh, the Kidman are looking after them, giving them an extra share or, a, or an Under Armour. Uh, so for every single member of the staff, it's different. The manager and the technical staff normally is, is time to be in the manager's room, uh, just just talking talking football and, and about the team. Some, some decide to relax. Sometimes uh, you're a little bit more stressed, maybe because of the game. Um, so yeah, it got more stressful straight away after you get the team sheet. When you get the team seat from the position, then you start, you know, you have to write the set player, you have, you get a little bit busier. But yeah, it is, it's probably the less enjoyable time because you just can't wait for, for the kickoff.
0: Yeah, that's why I ask. It's like the, it's the most miserable hour of the week whenever you're just waiting for it to get going. So seeing if, how other staffs interact. What about halftime then? what What was your role as an assistant during the break at Everton? Was it... Because we, we have this perception of the head coach delivering this motivation, the tactical information. We don't really know what an assistant coach does at halftime at that level.
1: Well, uh, With Ronald at Everton, we have a, a chat within ourselves in the manager's room, straight after the halftime, and then Ronald himself will deliver the message to the players. Sometimes he will ask the rest of the members of staff some things. Sometimes he got a clear picture of what he wants to change or what he wants to say. Um, For me, what was quite uh, unique with Mauricio Pochettino uh, at Southampton, uh, two seasons before I joined Everton, um, it was great for me, actually, and I learned a lot. At halftime, I had to translate his message to all the players, because Mauricio came to England and he was starting to learn English. Sometimes it was in a very stressful scenario, especially considering how passionate Mauricio is. Uh, So I needed not only to pass the information to the players, but. To be able to motivate them or to or to tell them enough or shout or whatever message it was I have to deliver uh, translating for from from Mauricio. It have to be with the same passion, with the same voice tone. So at the beginning was was very, very challenging. Sometimes even even my legs were shaky. <laughs> um, but with time it, it got it got easier and and I actually got got better at it and to a point that I consider now myself I quite Strong in halftime uh, team talks, um, but both both are, are brilliant Mauricio and Kuman both are brilliant at uh, halftime team talks sometimes it is motivation, sometimes it is tactical adjustment, but if you see the, the results normally, their teams uh, always do well in the second half. normally of course, you know every game is different, but they normally affect very positively the team. sometimes it's nothing motivational it's just tactical, sometimes it's just tactical. No motivation or synthesis, both, but uh, they both are brilliant.
0: Wow, that's talk about getting pushed out of your comfort zone. I, I can't imagine what that experience was like.
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly, sh- legs like shaking the, the first time. Uh, you know, telling off players that that oh, this yeah, but very very good experience. Very good experience. I'm happy I can now share this type of experience with uh, with with everyone. And I didn't get sucked from it, so it it was good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about after the game then? Is it a case of, you know, as a staff, is it a case of getting straight to breaking it down or is there a cooling off period for the staff before you look at it?
1: Again, Gary, this is depending on on the manager uh, and also depending on the group of players. For me personally, I I normally like to give my players a few minutes to cool down before I talk, give them a few minutes to reflect on it. uh, not too long, so they don't forget what's going on or what I want to talk to them about. Um, and then as a general rule, which is my change, depending on the game, but the, if the result was very good, uh, it's easy to be positive and and, and then tell them uh, also a couple of things that they didn't do as well, because you know it won't uh, affect the team morale because they are happy because they won't. So you use this moment to maybe tell them a couple of things that need to be improved. Uh, and you know they are still happy and they are still proud and they are still believing in your working methodology and, and your philosophy. Now, if the result is not good, I prefer to to, uh, to cut the, the speech short. Let the players calm down, uh, reflect themselves. Sometimes even maybe uh, wait until the next day or next training day to talk, maybe using the video as well. But after a defeat, for me, the most important thing is, is to get the team morale high as soon as possible, thinking mainly about about the ne- about the next game and let's be honest when you do when you do something wrong, when you play bad, do you really need somebody to remind you or to tell you if I make a mistake when I was playing if I made a mistake I knew I made a mistake and I didn't need my coach to tell me you make a mistake Well, I know I made a mistake so yeah th- I think the most important thing is to pick to pick uh, yourself up as quick as possible and, and, and think about the next game. Obviously, you cannot always stick to the plan because, especially in the Premier League, there are so many other fa- factors, position on the table, team spirit, the pressure that you can have because maybe you, know, you, you haven't win for a couple of games. Uh, so emotions sometimes take charge and you cannot stick to, to, your, to what you thought is correct in the first place.
0: You maintained your role as technical director for Southampton Women whenever you were working with Everton. How did you manage to balance those roles? Because they're not close together, right? There's a, it's about three four hours away. So, how did you how did you pull that off?
1: Um, the Southampton Women's project was b- very close to my heart. Uh, I I felt you know we achieve a lot uh, with the team, and we have a, a extraordinary chemistry. I have always been very passionate about the women's game. So for me, it was so difficult, extremely difficult to leave all of this behind. So when Everton offer came, I felt very guilty to leave uh, my role as a first-team manager at Southampton Women. After a fantastic a fantastic season, we, we won the the league, uh, losing only one game. We we lost uh, in, the, in the cup final against a team, a division higher. So I agreed with the club that I would keep involved with them as technical director and, and continue to help to develop our philosophy alongside my assistant manager, who then will become the new manager who and I' still the manager now, so basically my my role w- would be like uh, helping the coaching staff with sessions and practices to develop our already installed playing style and periodization of the season with a clear focus in training in the way we wanted to play uh, so yeah at, at the beginning was very challenging because I, I, I was very very active, uh, and then this, alongside my role uh, at Everton, I, I struggled to find, to find time. Uh, I just went there a couple of times, so most of the time was through uh, sending videos or sending diagrams uh, or, or, or having uh, telephone conversations. But it became easier as the manager and most of the coaches that we have there, uh, they start to know perfectly and embrace the, the, the philosophy that we have at the club. Uh, so, so then it became easier, and for me, it was just more uh, occasionally support rather than uh, involvement every day. Um, but then, you know, it, it worked very well because the results of the club for the last five years speak for for themselves. Uh, there is no one single season in the last five that they lost more than one game in the league, and they have two promotions. Uh, they won the cup twice, so it, it's it's been unbelievable success in the club. Mm, fantastic.
0: We, we recently had a podcast with uh, Stephanie McCaffrey, a professional player over here, and she talked about how every level of the game required a better version of yourself. That as you progressed through youth to college, to pro, to national team, the challenges grew higher and higher. Uh, do you think the same applies for coaches?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100% with Stephanie. Um, a coach, exactly same like a player, it becomes better the more hours of practice he or she gets. And the higher you go in football, the better prepared you need to be as coach. The game becomes faster, the level of pressure increases. Uh, so as a footballer or as a coach, you need to keep becoming better every single day if, if you want to grow. Now, in the Premier League, the biggest challenge, in my opinion, is is the pressure you have to be able to, to work under. Uh, at this level, three defeats in a row can get you sacked. Uh, and this could happen in less than two weeks, so you, you cannot mentally prepare for it. It, it, comes, it comes suddenly. Uh, that, mean, that might mean uh, move kids from the school for some families. That might mean that you cannot pay your house. Or it, it, for, for everyone, might be different, but that all brings an extra amount of pressure. And then the pressure could come from, from the media, from the fans, sometimes even from your own players or staff. Uh, at this level, mistakes are magnified, and it's a very stressful environment, when especially when things don't go your way. So for me, that would be the, the biggest challenge in, in the Premier League.
0: It's interesting that the Pochettino book, he talked about him and his staff having a glass of wine on a Friday night. And it was, I think it was before they played Aston Villa. And he said, yeah, they were laughing. He said, if, if we don't win tomorrow, guys, we'll probably be fired. And it just made me, I kind of perked up because I... I, could, I didn't think coaches actually talked that way, but it sounds like they do.
1: Yeah, you, you do, Gary, because because you care. It's your life. Yeah. And in in case of Mauricio and Tony, they brought they brought their families. Uh, for example, when they were at Southampton, they brought their families. If they if they let's say they get, they get sacked, that means either they stay there uh, and keep the families there, but they cannot work again until whatever, or, or they need to you know so it's, it not only affect you but can affect your family can affect so so yeah yeah we talk about this because 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 we do we do care and um, one thing is your the impact it has in your career nobody wants to get sucked. and another thing is uh, how it might affect uh, your family it might affect uh, your economy it might affect so many other things but we also know that you know we we, we love to be there we, we all, I think, we all that have been involved in the Premier League, we are there because one day we dreamt about it, and and that was our dream. And when you dream about it, you know uh, how football works. Uh, you know you might get sacked. You know you lose three games and you might get sacked. You know uh, you cannot be, you know, very stable in one place if you are a football manager, because football, you know, moves constantly. So, so yeah, yeah.
0: You speak four different languages. We talked about the, that interpretation before. How beneficial is that on the training field, or do you like to have a common language that teams use at, at training and meetings?
1: Uh, I think in football, you have players from different nationalities, so speaking in other languages always help. Always help to to, to get better connection and and better uh, feeling with the players. Uh, so far, I've been able to provide some linguistic support to so many Spanish-speaking players, uh, like Gaston Ramirez, uh, Juanmi, Joel Robles, Sandro, um, so, amongst others. So in my, in my case, actually, speaking languages cha- changed my life because I first came on board with the first team at Southampton because Gaston Ramirez needed a translator. And at the time, I spoke bo- both languages, Spanish and English, and I was a qualified coach. So they brought me into the dressing room. Then, of course, after a few months, when Pochettino came in, then he offered me a full-time first-team coaching assistant role. and So I might have done something right, but but yes. Uh, Answering your question in football, when you work for a while with a team, you start to form your own tactical vocabulary that everyone knows and everyone gets familiar with, regardless of the nationality. Um, I use some terms, for example, in my coaching that... I don't know, actually, if they made a lot of sense in English, but I used them, and the players, I, I did so many presentations of them, the players know exactly what I mean by them. Uh, so we use, for example, attract to release, uh, which I don't know, actually, if it's, a, if it's an English term, but that means, you know, we are not allowed to play long when, we, when they are not pressing us, because we want to play short, little short passes in red angles to attract the opposition, and then when the opposition are dragged into the area we are, then we, then we will play long. Then we will play long. That will be done in rondos, for example, as well. You don't play rondo to the opposite side unless they are pressing you in this side. So, you know, these tactical concepts, people get familiar, players get familiar with it. Uh, defensive diagonal we use, which means one winger is always, when we are defending and the ball is in on one side, the opposite winger is always deeper than the winger that is closer to the ball. All these terms, I don't know honestly. I don't know if they got, if they make any sense in English, but I use them with the teams, and we all exactly know what what mean by that. So yeah, you create your own your own language.
0: Kind of speaking on the, going on that term in a, in an interview with Jen O'Neill at She Kicks before the season, she asked you, you know, how have you enjoyed your preseason? And you replied, the girls have worked hard. They all had programs to do specific to their position and level of form. Can you talk a little bit about? how you gave players those separate programs for each position and was this done physically or was it done with a technical focus?
1: Um, so during the off-season, uh, I normally set them three phases. have a program uh, with three phases. So they don't let their aerobic capacity and anaerobic lactic capacity decay too much between seasons. So when the season finishes, uh, normally I give them uh, two weeks of total rest Sometimes week and a half, depending on how long off-season we got. After that, we start with phase one. We call it after rest, which consists on low-intensity continuous exercise for, for a week. Then they go into phase two, which we call maintaining training. So it's, a mo- it's moderating ten intensity interval training for week and a half or two, again, depending on, on, on how long we got off. Then they go into phase three, which is training to train, which would be done just before the precision starts. Is two weeks period of high intensity interval training to increase the training load and prepare them to for precision actually and, and reduce the risk of injury during the during the precision. So what they do in the off season is just physical, pure physical. It's individual work with no tactical outcome at all. So when they start precision with with, with us, then we do everything everything with the ball and everything the way we play. So they do the, the work so they don't drop their fitness levels too low. So when they start precision, we don't need to do these double sessions or triple sessions. Or you know, we, we start to work exactly how we want the girls to play. Now, when we talk about the position specific, this will consist in changing uh, the load and the intensity of the program. So, for example, the amount of acceleration, the acceleration, the high speed running, that uh, play, um, a player spend in every phase, uh, depending on the position. So, for example, let's say we got a, a speedy fullback. So uh, he or she will have a bigger number of decelerations and accelerations and high-speed runs uh, in in the phase three, just before precision, than a, strike, a striker, for example, who is a, a target man.
0: What would your advice be to young coaches, Fran, who are looking at at working at the at the highest level?
1: Um, the the main one would be to always keep improving. Uh, the game changes constantly, and and we need to change too. I like to put example always, like, you know, he's a doctor, and this is uh, the best doctor in the world. Everyone knows he's the best doc- doctor in the world, and he knows, but, uh, but because he knows he's the best doctor in the world, he just, you know, he stopped developing because he knows he's at the highest, he's the, he's the best, but then it will appear new illnesses, new viruses, so if he doesn't keep improving, after some time, he will become average, and after more time he will become a bad doctor not necessarily because he know less than he did before but because he doesn't know more and there are as we say we are more now new viruses and so you need to always keep improving and um, and for me a very important message for every coach out there is is not about us coaches every successful coach make all of it about his players so you know, we are not, it's important that we know that we are not in charge of them, but we are in charge of changing their lives or maybe changing their football career in a positive manner, uh, which means we are responsible for developing them, but to do that, you are responsible for debe- develop yourself uh, non-stop to, in order to, to help others. So always, for me, always keep improving every single day. That's why the best coaches, love, absolutely love with all their heart what they do because otherwise there is no way that if you don't love what you do you can keep improving and improving and improving every single day.
0: How do you look to improve as a coach or what, what's your your main sources? Is it is it coaching trips? Do you have mentors? Is it reading? What in particular?
1: Um, well, my main source would be uh, Gary Carney quotes in Twitter and, <laughs> and, and his books. <laughs> Uh, apart from that it would be like watch football uh, as much as you can I, ideally live but also if you got access to wide angle uh, watch as much football as you can uh, learn from other coaches from other players from the kidman, man from the physio for, we need to be like like sponges uh, and believe and believe me that you can learn from every single person um, then reading is, is key for me reading books Uh, not only from football, but also from other sports. I'm now reading actually one book, it's called The Score Takes Care of Itself. It's about the life of Bill Walsh, uh, Mm. one of the most successful NFL coaches. And I I am fascinated by by the amazing knowledge and leadership uh, skills that he had, how he came to the 49ers and changed everything uh, to be the best they could be. Uh, He he talked about how he worked with the receptionist, how he worked with the housekeeper, how he worked with everyone, so everyone was perfect at, at their job uh, with a common goal. It's, it's very, very inspirational. And then, one very good tool I use, I use with players, so I put videos there, uh, they give me feedback, and so it's YouTube, YouTube FIFA, uh, or any video um, tool, but YouTube is very powerful. I use it a lot uh, to watch videos, um, there are great videos there on leadership, uh, how to effective, effective communicate. As you see, I, I have to I have to watch a few more on on that uh, area, uh, how to motivate others or how to inspire people. And then you can also go to conference, seminar, uh, coach's website, uh, postcards like this. Uh, you know, but most important thing of all, for me in my opinion, is coach, 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 coach. Then review your practice, analyze yourself, look yourself in the mirror, what you could do better, right and coach, coach, coach. So the more hours you put on the field, the, the the better coach you 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 can become.
0: What a way to finish it, Fran! Thank you so much. Really enjoyed that.
1: Thank you very much. I, I I enjoyed it as well. Um, thank you very much for having me, and and yeah, really really pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thanks so much to Fran for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Just the little things that he talked about and the differences in the weather and the culture and and the role that plays and the differences in growing up and the gravel pitches and the concrete pitches. And I think there's a lot of us going like, wow, never thought of that before. And I was doing that throughout that interview. Uh, A couple of things stuck with me. First of all, when he was talking about his philosophy, he said, in my opinion, to be an effective coach, you have to have a playing style that you love and believe in. Then your next job, and probably the most challenging one, will be to teach it and inspire your players so they love it as much as you do. And I thought, like, I'm going to get that framed and put it up on the wall because it just encompasses everything that I believe a coach should be. Yes, you should have a playing instead. Yes, you should manufacture it or create it to the extent that you actually believe in it, not that you grab it from other people. But then that ability that I think we get lost in is to inspire your players so they love it as much as you do. I think that's something that you know we all miss every now and again, sometimes more than others. But we think that it's enough to put the sessions on. We think that it's enough to, to show the people what we want, to show the players that we want. But in reality... You know we have to inspire. We have to connect with players. We have to put on sessions that are exciting. We have to put on meetings that are exciting. We have to put on feedback sessions that have that can cage a, a high level of interest. And it's great to hear someone who's working at a high level to have that kind of insight. The, also, the things that I that stood out for me probably stood out for you as well. That level of humility and also that level of looking for information in 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 different places he just mentioned there the, the bill walsh book at the end and little things like that you find that when you study the top coaches around the world that their detail is unbelievable but their actual desire to look for the detail in other aspects of life is is pretty interesting as well so really enjoyed that the, the story about Doing the team talk for Mauricio Pochettino was absolutely brilliant. Love that there. So, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Let me know what, what, uh, what stuck with you, what stood out for you. Uh, let me know what you think. As always, Twitter at Gary Curnine, Instagram at Gary Kernane. Really appreciate you spreading the word of the podcast. Really appreciate you listening. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you
1: for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics